This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Lily Chai. Purchasing and selling things online have become second nature to us, and using online banking solution is no longer a new concept. Jeotan, government and international lead of Alivanti, a non-profit organization set up by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, is here to share how she built a fintech ecosystem in Singapore and how organizations can utilize or monetize fintech to adapt to the global digital economy landscape. Welcome to the show, Jail. Thank you, Lily. Thanks for having me. Right. You worked in a few PR and marketing agencies from 2011 to 2017. Why did you pivot to do tech instead after that? And what got you interested in this field? Yeah, I've always felt that my career has been shaped around the opportunities that I was given. So when I graduated with a business degree, um, I was given the opportunity to join a public relations and integrated events agency. So that gave me the chance to work with media, manage large corporate clients, but also to work with small businesses and the privilege to run um, Singapore's first cocktail week, which is sort of a week-long event that puts Singapore's cocktail scene on the map. Um, that gave me um, a chance to sort of work with a lot of local businesses and bartenders to give them a chance to showcase their craft, learn the tricks of the trade with masterclasses and do a few bar takeovers as well with um, renowned international bartenders. Um, so that really helped me, you know, sort of build a background in upskilling and also showcasing some of the local companies. So following that, I actually dealt into communications representing B2B tech companies. Um, that gave me sort of a taster of some of the latest technologies across some of the B2B tech enterprises. So that involved data centers, um, enterprise cybersecurity, um, programmatic, um, programmatic advertising and innovations around anti-money laundering. Um, and in 2018, I think that was the point where really fintech was slowly sort of transforming from a buzzword to a hype that uh, looked like it was going to stay for a while. Um, and that was then I joined the fintech and innovation group at the Monetary Authority of Singapore. So that's the equivalent of the local central bank insurance and capital markets regulator. Um, my mission back then was basically to take um, its flagship event, so that's the Singapore Fintech Festival, um, to new heights, but also to sort of continue any ongoing conversations that had arisen from that platform as well. So whether or not it's new lighthouse project, uh, projects be, um, between the industry and the government that had arisen from that first conversation that took place at the Fintech Festival, or um, public sector and private sector collaborations driven by the sort of ecosystem impact that the festival creates. Um, so one of this... So some of these lighthouse projects also led to sort of the founding of Elevandi, um, as you had mentioned, that not-for-profit entity that's set up by the MES. And what we really aim to do is sort of um, drive open dialogue between the public and private sectors of fintech with the purpose of advancing fintech in the digital economy. Right. So I think for me, it's um, that jump into fintech has always been quite natural. Like, as you mentioned, I think financial services permeates, you know, sort of all aspects of a person's lives. Um, so any change, any movement in the market really impacts people on a personal level and at scale as well, because there's the potential to impact and change lives on, on that impact. So I think it's been quite a journey um, and quite appreciative of my role in Elevandi, which obviously revolves around fintech on the daily, but also spans sort of government and international relations that um, opens up new possibilities for the world ahead. Right. 
So, as you mentioned, you you worked in Singapore's central bank for about uh, for more than three years as a manager at the fintech and innovation group, right? Uh, you helped build a fintech ecosystem in Singapore and made Singapore a essentially a smart financial center. Uh, what is the ecosystem about? Can you give us like a brief outlook of what it is? Yeah, sure. So I think there's two sort of um, aspects to your question. Obviously, there's the ecosystem in Singapore and obviously the wider ecosystem that's global. Um, so joining the MES, the first port of call and the first mission is always how we can help immediate um, local fintech businesses thrive. And especially so because my time in the MES crossed cr- uh, over the pandemic as well. So definitely the immediate problem statement is how do we help um, you know fintech businesses survive, grow, get access to financing, get access to talent, um, how they can work through regulatory challenges um, that can be sometimes stumbling blocks for them when it comes to innovation, right? So that ecosystem effect in Singapore is sort of ensuring that the different stakeholders, so the ones we're talking about are government, startups, investors, uh, large corporates and academics, um, they're all given sort of the right tools to cooperate, to work with each other. And this is sort of an ongoing process, right? So on a year-on-year basis, we identify new challenges and um, basically find new solutions to address those challenges that help um, to address them. Um, some examples of that is create the creation of sort of the API exchange, so helping startups and financial institutions to collaborate and experiment in sort of a safe environment on proof of concepts. Mm. Um, the SG Fintech is one of the projects basically to open a, uh, to create sort of an open interoperable structure for data sharing and access um, across financial institutions as well, so getting banks to open up their APIs, but also adding on um, different services as well as like insurance statements, health data, etc. I think the second part is really more of, you know, building international bridges. So once you have the ecosystem in Singapore, it's not good enough for businesses to sort of thrive in our market, right? Because Singapore is so small. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to sort of build with larger markets in Southeast Asia. So Malaysia is one of them, of course, our neighbors, Indonesia and Thailand, of course. Um, so we do that sort of by building fintech cooperation on a government to government level. Um, and this sort of helps create a framework in which both governments can mutually collaborate on what it comes to, when it comes to sort of sharing knowledge, referring fintech companies in each other's jurisdictions, working on joint projects together. Um, and some of these strong projects include sort of foundational digital infrastructure work. I think that involves two countries in Africa, two countries in Southeast Asia as well, that laid the groundwork for a lot of other, you know, impact-driven initiatives um, that build upon it. Right. That is the ecosystem as a whole, right? But I want to talk about uh, what is your contribution towards that ecosystem in those three years? Yeah, so I think some of the stuff that we mentioned in terms of building that cooperation. So we signed a few cooperation agreements with governments um, across multiple jurisdictions. I think we have about 40 um, fintech cooperation agreements to date with different, you know, um, central banks and regulators around the world. So that helps lay the foundation in terms of international cooperation as well. Um, but also um, in terms of helping the local e- ecosystem, there were a few grants, initiatives that helped um, the industry could collaborate as well. So a few things include sort of in digitizing trade between small and medium enterprises, allowing them to get access to financing, um, building cross-border payments and interoperability between mm-hmm. payment systems in different jurisdictions, um, development of sort of initiatives around ESG and green fintech, which is obviously the latest um, trend now as we are talking uh, moving into sustainable finance. Right. So now you're currently in Alivandi. Again, that is a non-profit organization set up by Singapore's central bank to open a, what you call as an open dialogue between public and private sectors through fintech. Can you expand a little bit more on what an open dialogue means? 
Sure. Um, so I think in my line of work in the MAS as well and moving to Elevandi, I've realized that innovation and regulation need to go hand in hand right. uh, in order to really drive an impact and move the market. So innovators often seek the direction from regulators in terms of clarity, um, in terms of how they can make innovation safe without stifling its growth. And for regulators as well, they need to constantly you know, work together with innovators to see where the trend is going, making sure that the regulation they're developing is obviously robust and agile as well. So I think Singapore is actually a great place of how that takes place quite effectively. So the team at MES have been quite forthcoming and quite open to dialogue with industry when it comes to new regulation. So regulating crypto assets um, is one of the main things and obviously promoting digital asset innovation as well. Um, so not just within its jurisdiction in Singapore, but also having conversations with other governments um, across the border as well um, to make sure that other governments around the world are also you know, continuously growing and um, kept abreast of different developments across the countries as well. So at Elevandi, we do this, um, I can give two examples of how we do this. We do basically two major forums in a year where we see policymakers and private industry intersect. So earlier on in June this year, we piloted an experiment um, with the Swiss government called the Point Zero Forum. Um, it's basically a gathering of about 1,000 senior-level policymakers and C-suites where we sort of debate about two trending topics each year. Um, and what's interesting about this is not just the topics that we talk about, but also the format in which the discussions are held. So it's usually around, so in June, we talked about Web3 and sustainable finance, but the format of this was basically two-hour deep dive roundtables. So you would see policymakers and um, industry in the same room talking about specific problem statements. Um, and it can be across cross-border payments, um, implementing AI responsibly, um, stable coins, um, what tax role is in accelerating green finance, for instance. Um, and that was really, really successful uh, when we did that first in Zurich, um, such that we are sort of implementing that again in Singapore this year. Um, but we do want to create a safe space, a comfortable space for sort of regulators and industry to have that open dialogue, that frank discussion about real challenges that we need to address in the industry and give the regulators a chance to sort of not just um, share their views about where regulation is going, but also um, to listen as well um, to innovators, um, what they have to say in terms of what you know other stumbling blocks in, in regulation. Right. I do want to touch on the challenges that you mentioned, uh, but it's time for some messages, but don't go anywhere. I'm here with Jail Tan. She is the government and international lead of Alivandi, which is a non-profit organization set up by Singapore's Central Bank. Here on Her Vantage, BFM 89.9. Build Fairer Malaysia, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back. You're listening to Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Lily Chai. I'm here with Jail Tan. She is the government and international lead of Alivandi, which is a non-profit organization set up by Singapore's Central Bank. Now, before the break, she was talking about how she helped build a fintech ecosystem in Singapore that essentially made Singapore a smart financial center. Now, Jail, um, when we think of Singapore, you'll think that, oh, it is a fairly sophisticated and educated market in fintech. Now, what else is still missing and needs to be improved in Singapore? Great question. Um, obviously, the challenges that have been brought upon by the current economic climate has led to a few new things. And I think these challenges are faced not just in Singapore, but obviously across the fintech industry as well. 
So we are obviously in a very uncertain and volatile global environment at the moment um, that's brought upon by pandemic, the rapid technological disruptions that happen across the world, and obviously also extreme global warming events as well that have made us think about um, the impact of what we're doing on the environment also. So we feel that I think um, in Singapore, what we're seeing as well as in the region, um, that businesses are sort of looking at um, how to survive and thrive, basically, um, and why it's important for us to keep the businesses viable, resilient and agile in order to um, survive in this climate. And I think some examples, it's it's obviously the fact that the investment is landscape for cryptocurrency companies are changing. Um, and I think that's probably the most um, impactful change that has happened in the earlier part of this year. Um, and has led to sort of investors looking for companies um, that to, to better invest in. And basically their investment landscape is now shaped by the fact that um, startups that they look to invest in are held to a higher standard. So they, there's a greater focus on their deliverables as opposed to, you know, the concepts and the ideological aspect to it. Um, I think investment in fintech has are still happening actually in Singapore and in the region as well, but it's getting smaller because investors are becoming more prudent about where they put their money. Um, so fintech companies now have to sort of prove themselves when they, it comes to having a more enduring business model that will help develop, de- deliver profitability in the long run. Um, but despite that, of course, I think um, what's on the horizon is also the trends. Um, I think Web3 is something that's been talked about. We see the industry sort of moving towards a direction as well. Um, just recently, I think um, Microsoft, Meta, Qualcomm has all sort of made moves to capture the metaverse pie. Um, and that's I, I, that's no surprise because it's worth $1 trillion, right? And it's just obviously the latest thing as well. So for companies, I think the challenge is also to try and evolve to that new um, technology, try to capture these new opportunities for at the same time balancing how they're surviving in the market as well. Right. Um, do you have any suggestions as to how they can overcome these barriers? Because essentially, they are looking for investments, right? And you say they, are, they have become prudent and... Uh, become more conservative and their the checklist has become longer. Are there any suggestions that you have for these as fintech startups? So I think for fintech startups, it's quite important to um, think about two components in that sense. I think one is to continually ensure that the business model that they are building um, throughout the year, not just um, looks at the horizon for this year or the next year, it needs to think about how it can continue to stay resilient across multiple years and be sensitive and resilient to, to economic shocks as well. So that's one thing that we've realized and um, it's also a, a key topic that we've been revolving around as well. The other piece is also obviously or what, something that we talked about in the earlier part of our conversation, which is to continually have that dialogue with governments as well. Um, as they innovate, they should be also kind of wary about where um, regulation is going around the, the spaces that they are working in as well to make sure that um, they not just um, are comply with regulation, but also be able to sort of shape the dialogue with the regulators in terms of where innovation is going. So when I mentioned sort of Web3 and the metaverse, um, obviously it's a it's a very unregulated area. It's a sort of a wild west. It's a new ground as well. So having that continuous conversation with um, regulators as well to make sure that they know where the flow of regulation is going, but also to help them to influence and um, shape where regulation would go in the in the next years to come. All right. Now, uh, you engage fintech with uh, Elevandi, engage fintech with different countries across Africa as well. That is a very interesting uh, region to explore. Why is it important to create ecosystems with country in different regions and uh, when it comes to fintech? And why is Africa the destination of choice? That's an interesting question. Um, so I think the first reason as to why we even 
you know, start international collaboration in the first place, obviously, because Singapore is an island, it's really small. Um, it, it, you know, companies that develop innovations here can't survive on just feeding the market alone as compared to maybe some of the bigger, bigger markets. So it's always important to think about how we're collaborating with other countries as well, because eventually the companies here would have to interact or grow and expand to another country. Um, the reason for why Africa as well is because I think there's quite a lot of similarities when it comes to um, where we're thinking of in terms of fintech. Um, and this is obviously quite shaped by um, Singapore's um, Monetary Authority of Singapore, where each time they think about how to tackle a new problem, it's not about you know um, jumping on every trend in terms of tech innovation. It's not about jumping on um, new stuff. It's always thinking about what purpose does it serve? And what problem does it address? How can technology solve a problem in that sense? And that leads to, it's quite similar in a sense in how some of countries in Africa are thinking about innovation, which is um, how can we think about innovation in a more inclusive manner? So how can we drive financial inclusion in those markets as well? Um, use technology to solve sort of pervasive problems as opposed to, you know, just jumping on tech for the sake of tech as well. So I think when it comes to financial inclusion, as well as I think the financial literacy, I think we see a lot of similarities with some of these countries, um, quite like-minded as well. So th therefore, we started on quite a few collaborations. And I think um, our first actual foray into that um, was with Kenya, actually, in 2018, when we first sort of um, did a sort of government-to-government -government engagement with the Central Bank of Kenya and sort of they saw the ecosystem effect being created in Kenya for the first time. And if you know a little bit about Kenya, they're sort of the land of mobile money. That's what made them famous in the first place. Is they basically just leapfrogged a whole um, trend and moved right into mobile at that point. And I don't see how um, that would stop them from sort of jumping onto the Web3 trend, given that they have such a strong base when it comes to the Web2 trend already. Mm. Um, so maybe that's why I think um, there's quite a few opportunities that we've been developing with uh, countries like in Africa. Right. Speaking of collaborating with countries... Do you think that Malaysia is a mature enough digital economy destination for fintech to grow and develop? Yeah, I can only speak from the standpoint that we've had in terms of the conversations with some of the regulators. So obviously BNM is, is quite a um, progressive as well as open um, candidate when it comes to things like cross-border payments, um, digital currencies as well. Um, back in MES, we've had quite a few dialogues in that sense. They were always quite proactive in um, jumping on these conversations. And I think that also obviously sets the base in terms of um, where they're going in fintech. Uh, when you have a government that is uh, so open to kind of growing with the market, that always you know helps sort of the economy grow as well. So I can see obviously the the, the Malaysian fintech market benefiting from that. Um, I know you guys have just appointed some of the digital banking licensees also. Um, I'm looking forward to kind of see how these grow in 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 the, the years ahead, basically. Um, and how the editorial services that were offered to the consumers as well and how that would benefit um, the wider ecosystem as a whole. Mm. Uh, to expand a little bit on that, how do you think uh, organizations can design inclusive business models to cater to the needs of the underbanked and unbanked? Yeah, um, I think, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I think always we see financial inclusion and digitization as very in inextricably linked, basically. It's always going hand in hand. Um, new technologies that help improve the way organizations um, deliver financial services and providing platforms that can help facilitate collaborations in the much wider audience um, than previously possible is where sort of we see inclusion being driven in the same manner. Um, so uh, one is basically seeing sort of big tech firms um, such as global e-commerce platforms or fintech disruptors, disruptors going into digital banking. Um, so Kakao, 
um, set up Kakao Bank, uh, Japan's line, launched banks in Taiwan, Thailand, Indonesia, and then Xiaomi as well, expanded into banking in Hong Kong. Um, back in Singapore as well as Malaysia, obviously, we've also announced successful applications of digital banks. Um, and these digital banks can basically add um, diversity to this, the, the banking system. So spurring innovation, better and, better and meeting the needs of the un, underserved and un, unserved markets, basically. So examples of that include, I think, um, providing small ticket credit facilities, um, you know, being able to tap on wide-ranging data sources in that sense. Um, so I see that as sort of that inclusive business model that um, is a great example of. Digital banking is one of them. Um, but when we talk about, you know, catering to the needs of unbanked and underbanked, as part of financial inclusion. Another lens to financial inclusion is basically uh, building an open and interoperable model. So allow a model that allows for compatibility with other infrastructures as well. So open ecosystems that are interoperable with other connecting services um, and basically be looking towards more decentralization and equity and how companies are considering applications on the blockchain that allow people to create an interoperable, interoperable rail that allows anyone with the sort of same standards and protocols to work in a consensus environment. Um, so I think um, we that's what we I think we're looking towards um, in terms of financial inclusion and also more open um, infrastructures to ensure uh, sort of sustainability in the long term as opposed to sort of closed networks um, that will kind of restrict people from coming into the, the same um, ecosystem. Right. On a personal level, you being as a female and a leader in the fintech industry, are there any barriers being a female leader in that space? Yeah, so um, I think that's definitely an age-old problem when it comes to tech, um, even financial institutions as well. I think we see that um, there's you know a small portion of the workforce made up of women. Um, I think all we can do is obviously try and champion a little bit more in terms of initiatives. We are doing it obviously on a more grassroots level when it comes to talent development as well, offering that as from the start, um, at the at the point of the career, offering that as a possible option for women to sort of step up in those roles as well. And I think that's sort of slightly, slightly changing as well um, as compared to you know five years ago, for instance. Um, we are seeing a growing growing women workforce as well, but also trying to kind of put the spotlight on some of these um, female leaders in the space has also sort of helped um, in trying to help you know, put more um, women leaders at the forefront and also get them to sort of champion a specific initiative that they're passionate about as well. But also, I think um, one as element to it is also making sure that um, women in the workplace have a little bit more of a balanced lifestyle. Um, obviously, there's a lot of traditional roles about um, in the family that um, women play as well, and it can be quite um, difficult for us to sort of um, grow when it comes to um, developing in the workplace, balancing, you know, home life as well as the career as well. So I think um, for companies to sort of create more conducive environments for women to sort of work as well as be mothers in their home as well um, and to grow in a career, I think that really helps in terms of, you know, growing more women leaders in the workforce as well. Right. Thank you so much for spending time with me, Jail. Thank you, Lily. I've been speaking to Jail Tan. She is the government and international lead of Alivanti, which is a non-profit organization set up by Singapore's Central Bank. Now, if you miss any part of the show, you can go ahead on our website at bfm.my or the BFM app that is available on the Apple App Store and Google Play to download the full conversation. I'm Lily Chai and this has been Her Vantage here on BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.